0: Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the Silent Assassin Matt Costa, Stephanie Burke off tonight, science advisor Matt Moniz off tonight. So you just got the original two, the classic hosts. The what what would we call the Spooky South Coast? Old school or? Oh, how about I turn your mic on?
1: The Gruesome Twosome.
0: <laughs> there we go. That works too. Although we do have a a third party in the studio, so and she's not Gruesome. Don't call her that, Matt. That's not nice. She's a guest. <laughs> We have uh, joining us tonight in the studio is Darcy Lee. She is the go- uh, the author of Ghosts of Plymouth, Massachusetts, and we're going to be talking with her about that tonight. Good evening, Darcy. How are you?
2: I am well, thank you. Thank you for having me on this dreary, rainy evening. Perfect night for ghost stories. It really
0: is. I mean, if you're going to talk about strange and unusual topics, which is what we talk about here on Spooky South Coast, we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. What better night can you ask for, for the, than this? And I say that with total gratitude in my heart that it changed over from snow to rain, because there's nothing worse than trying to drive home from the show at 2 a.m. in a snowstorm. So it's, uh but it, it definitely does have a creepy feel tonight. I noticed that when I left the house. Actually, I was still in the house. It was probably like around 4 o'clock, 4.30 this afternoon, and I said, wow, it's really dark outside. Very dark. Like, darker than it normally is during a storm. hmm And ever, like, even I turned the lights on in my house, and I just never felt like there was enough light. So maybe it was just... Mother Nature is setting the tone for tonight's show. Most likely. And if you want to join in with the program at any time, you can call in at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Say hello right now to everybody in the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com, on our YouTube channel, and uh, on our Spooky South Coast app, which is free, by the way. If you don't have it, download it now, especially since I know a lot of folks are getting nice new devices for Christmas. You're giving me that look as if, like, not don't oh. mention the iOS.
1: Well, I was gonna say like only on Android for, 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 right for the time now. being. Right now, for the time being,
0: we have to. Should, should we tell the people what's up with the uh, with the Apple app? Because a lot of people um, just went out and got the new iPhone X, and they it might still be up. It might still I, work. I don't have a. I don't. <laughs> yeah, we, don't we don't buy Apple. Yeah, right, right. We're so. we're smart. We're adults. We have Android. <laughs> but uh, there's there's a there's an iPhone app too, an iOS app as well. But uh, we we haven't renewed our our um, fee. Our, uh, for our certificate, our Apple certificate. Is that what it is? It's an Apple certificate, right? And it's it's how much?
1: Ninety nine dollars.
0: Ninety nine dollars it costs for us to put that app up that we give away to you for free. And by the way, we don't have any money; we're broke. <laughs> this show is uh, we operate on spare change. That's why I'm so That's glad. Fair. I'm so glad that we're still grandfathered into that rate for our um, for our podcasting. All right, that we got in 2006, actually 2005. Right.
1: I think we we built. Uh, <laughs> of uh, what? Hipcast. We Hipcast, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We made them what they are today.
0: That and they hate us because <laughs> we are locked into that rate. Mm. So they don't offer the unlimited bandwidth, unlimited storage plan anymore. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that was like a special thing just to try to get people to use it back in 2006. But, uh, but we signed up for it, and now they can't do anything about it. Except I get really nervous sometimes when, like, the card expires. And, like, we don't oh, yeah. go if in there and change it. Yeah. yeah, we don't go in there and change yeah. it because I'm like, they're just looking for an excuse to boot us out at this point, right. make us pay the regular rates. But, yeah, so anyway, this show operates on spare change. So we will eventually find a way to come up with $99 to renew that certificate. But right. until that point. We'll probably
1: have an update for the app soon. Yeah, I'll say that. I'll say. I'll keep saying it, and then I'll have to do it. But if
0: you get a Google phone, if you get the new Google phone that's coming out, because I know people, mm-hmm. I know people that are excited for this Google phone. So if they get that, they should have no problem downloading the app, right? right? That just comes from the Android store.
1: Right. So You can also find us on um, Google Play as well, Google uh, Music, whatever mu- music service Google yeah, has. Yeah, you can the, find the it, Stitcher, the Stitcher app. Yep, iTunes.
0: iTunes. Everywhere
1: uh, and... Yes, we we should.
0: We should. uh, We should point that out for anybody that's listening to the show that gets the show via iTunes. Mm -hmm. We should point out that fact that even though we haven't renewed our Apple certificate for our app to show up in the the Apple Store, you can still get our podcast free from iTunes. Right, right. It's still up there. It's still you know hundreds of episodes. Uh, iTunes is kind of a, a pain. They they only put up like what the most hundred hundred most recent episodes
1: is it something like that yeah, yeah. I
0: don't think they have every episode but we have archive feeds and all different ways mm. to get every episode I, that we've ever done
1: i I know the uh there's there's uh, quite a few listeners on the the TuneIn app and I am not exactly sure how far they go but I I, I know they go pretty far and because um, I exchanged some emails with uh, whoever's over there and they they've updated some some of our information
2: well
0: that's so. that's good. I, I like the fact that we can kick this show out in a variety of different mm-hmm. ways. Basically, it's like whatever you're into, we'll find a way to get the product to you. So, And if you have any ideas of how you want to consume the show, let us know. Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And I should mention, too, we also rebroadcast each week on the Dark Matter Radio Network as well. So uh, anybody that's a fan of Art Bell, that's how that radio network was founded, was Art Bell and, and, and Keith Rowland founded that together. And
1: We get quite a few emails from people uh, who d- discover us on... Uh dark matter we have around. a huge
0: following of yeah. dark matter and uh, we thank everybody for tuning in to us there or however you listen and it's usually this time of year that we ask you send us an email let us know who you are where you're listening from how you listen and uh, and what you think of the show any ideas constructive criticism because we do a lot of self-evaluating during the during the holiday time you know when everybody else is out having fun and spending time with family and opening gifts and everything we're sitting alone in the dark thinking about how much do we suck
1: we, we spend a lot of time in the dark
0: we do. Hmm. That's all right, though. And uh, it's better for our eyes, isn't it? No, it's worse for your eyes, is right? It? It's wor- I think it's worse for your eyes. Oh, man. So, uh, but it's we always- eat a lot of carrots, so we should be good. <laughs> but uh, so the idea is that we, you know, we're know we going to, as always, when we hit our anniversary in January, at the end of it, January, we start looking on ways to improve the show in the new coming year. So any suggestions that anybody has, we are willing to listen. 508... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to avoid the phone number to, to get people to call in with suggestions. Don't do that because then we'll take it personally. We have to hear it over the air. Email them to us, Crew at spooky south com, and uh, that's the way to reach us for anything that you want to let us know about. And it's also the spooky south coast website is also a place where you know you never know where you're going to find cool stories and cool different events that we do, uh, different uh. You know, paranormal investigations that we do, different things that we're involved in. And one of the things that I'm involved in, and a lot of people out there listening have been to, is I do an evening of Ghost Stories and New England Legends, which is our stage show that we do. It's myself and Jeff Belanger and Carl Johnson and Andrew Lake and the, the photography of Frank Grace. And we go out and we, we go to a theater, and Frank Grace takes these amazing photographs we put them up on the big screen, and then the rest of us tell ghost stories to those photographs. And the idea is that it's almost like it's a ghost tour without you having to leave your seat. And uh, last year, when we did it, we did it at the uh, Company Theater in Norwell. And I try to, because we, we will tell some of the same favorite stories, and we will tell some, of, some new stories each time as well. And I try to pick stories that are geographically close to where it is that we're telling the story, and And I thought Norwell last year was pretty close in proximity to Plymouth. So I actually told some Plymouth ghost stories on the stage show. But I only scratch the surface of some of these stories. And our guest tonight, Darcy Lee, is going to get us into some of the real in-depth stuff. And uh, she has a book that she has written, Ghosts of Plymouth, Massachusetts. And it's from the History Press. So anybody that knows the History Press, you know you've got the creepy photo on the front with the giant moon in the background. And uh, and I know the location that's on the front cover of the book. But uh, let everybody know where that is. And-
2: sure. Uh, the cover of the book is a picture of First Parish meeting house in Town Square in Plymouth. So right in the heart of the downtown area and right next to and surrounded by historic Burial Hill.
0: And that is probably my favorite place to go. Like, I'm not even talking from a paranormal perspective. If I just have a, a nice day that I'm like, I think I'm going to go take a walk. Some people go to the beach. Some people want to go to the woods. I want to go to Burial Hill. And I want to walk around, look at all the graves, and, and I want to kind of go through some of the the downtown Plymouth haunts. And it doesn't matter if it's Halloween time, it doesn't matter if it's Thanksgiving, it doesn't matter if it's the middle of the summer. When you're walking through Plymouth, you feel that that history as well as the paranormal stuff rubbing right up against you
2: that's true and burial hill is one of the best vantage points to see plymouth harbor and if you put yourself in the place of the pilgrims right there on burial hill was where their original fort was um and so you can just imagine what they would have seen and that vantage point um was there was there for their protection that's why they chose that particular spot and
0: I don't know if you're like me but I you know I geek out at things like that to be able to stand in the same spot you know that William Bradford stood in to 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 know that I'm standing amongst where you know the some of the first pilgrims stood and watched to see where the Native Americans were coming from, to to see uh, other ships coming in as the years progressed. You know, this was such an important spot that uh, you can can feel it when you're up there.
2: You certainly can. And I was just up there the other day um, and walking through the... um pathways that generations of people have walked either um, in grief or in fear or in depression or desperation you can really feel that up there as well
0: and one of the best parts about it is when you are there it's almost like uh, it's almost like laying out chronologically the history of Plymouth before you because you see all the important names. You see all the names going all the way back to the Mayflower, but then all the names that have been important in that town since. And, and I spent a, a good number of my years in my youth going to school in Plymouth. I lived in Plymouth. And these are still family names that are that are in town today and, and still carry a lot of weight.
2: That's correct. And some very famous people are buried up on Burial Hill as well. Um, I make it a point when I'm there to visit the grave of Mercy Otis Warren, who was so instrumental in uh, revolutionary era politics in the 1770s. Uh, so it's important to me to recognize the history of those people when i'm in a place like that and
0: i don't know if you you know chronicling ghost stories is one thing i don't know if you actually do any paranormal research yourself uh, have you have you done any investigating up there? Any any recordings? Or? Well,
2: I'm not hardcore like you guys are, right? I look at um, it more from a historical perspective. For me, I lived and worked in the historical community in Plymouth for about 12 years. And I heard so many different stories and I wanted to know, are they true? Is it true that a little girl ghost named abigail townsend actually haunts the spooner house who is the victorian couple speaking of burial hill who is the victorian couple that so many have seen walking up and down a pathway to a particular grave and then they disappear and then they walk down the pathway who are they Really, So, for me, I like to tie the stories, the folklore, the legends, to the actual history and do the research in finding out, were these real people? Could it be likely that they would have been alive or involved in something that would put them in that place and time? I mentioned Mercy Otis Warren, and her house um, is on the corner of North Street and Main Street. There's a haunting there of Captain James Warren, who built the house. There's a story in the book that's covered that. So for me to be able to tie the the real people, incidents, events, activities, to something that is quite possibly paranormal, that's what's really interesting to me.
0: And And that's what I love about doing the work that we do, is mm-hmm. because we have the opportunity then to actually communicate with these people if, if that's what it is that we're doing. I mean, we're we're kind of operating on faith a little bit to say that when we capture a recording, it's a recording of a ghost, and that is the ghost of the person that we think that we're talking to. But if you take all that at face value, I went up to Burial Hill uh, I think it's probably my, it either my first or second trip, and I'm sorry to say that I've only recently only been going there like the last couple of years. Even though I lived there for many years, it was just not a place that we, we went to. And I was walking around with my phone, and I was doing some recordings, and uh, I was at the grave. The oldest grave is, uh, I'm trying to think of his name, but anyway, near that grave, there is the grave of one of the Mayflower couples. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Howlands. Howlands. Yes. yes. And so I was at the Howland grave, and I turned on my recorder, and I was just trying to communicate and seeing if anybody was there, and I captured the sound of a woman singing. Hmm. And I know that I'm up on a hill, and that sound would probably travel if I, you know. But still, this was like it was right next to me, and there was nobody else around. And then I walked over to William Bradford's monument, and uh, and I'm just in awe of that. Anyway, mm-hmm. to William Bradford, I mean, come on. And so while I'm standing there, I, I decided to do a recording and speak to him as well, and uh, and I got a, a voice coming back and you know telling me good day. Ah. So I was pretty impressed with with that for my first trip and I was like well I'll, I'm going to go I'm going to stick with those those are good enough for me I'm not going to keep pushing you know and uh, and I went home and I played it for people and, and some people heard it and some people said I don't really hear it but it was meant for me that's the way that I look at it
2: Yes, yes and
0: some of these stories that's what happens is you know a lot of these people who are working you know this working in the historical community there's a lot of people that don't want to believe these stories right and then there are others who are hoping that they're true just so You know, imagine if you've studied this person your entire life, and then you have the chance to actually talk to them. Right. So it's it always I always find it funny that you know, the historical community doesn't jump all over this. Not only because it's a good way to keep the past alive, but it's it's kind of a good money maker when tourism just isn't what it used to be. Plymouth is lucky in the way that you know there'll always be tourists coming in at least once a year. They can guarantee a big influx of people coming in. But you know, you look at places like. some of these smaller museums the, the the heritage museums you know they're they're not bringing people through the doors the biggest day they have all year is when the fifth graders walk over from Nathaniel Morton that's pretty much the that's the extent of it
2: mm-hmm. Well I think too that um, learning and knowing the stories of our past is very very important um, and when you think about ghost stories and folklore and legend, they're very human stories. And they're human stories because what people believe they are seeing, apparitions of, of dead people, those were human beings mm-hmm. who had energy and lived a life and had feelings and experiences themselves. And then the person who is witnessing the haunting, it's a very human story for them because they feel that energy, they feel that whatever is coming through, and it's something that is really happening to them. So I think it's important to know the history behind um, those stories. And for me, I wanted to not only verify that the ghost stories that I heard could possibly be true, but I also wanted to debunk some, too, as well. Because that's important to me, that if the, the stories that are being told and are kept alive aren't true, then that's an injustice to our history, you know, to our social history in particular. I mean,
0: it, it is, but also if a good urban legend can develop, <laughs> too, I mean, I think that that can have a place. It, it's It's one thing, if you're the person that's going out to experience this, maybe taking a ghost tour, maybe, you know, reading the book, maybe going out there and exploring these places on your own, if you can have a separation in your own mind of what can be historically proven and what is just a story that people tell, those stories can also kind of take on a life of their own, too.
2: I would agree with that, too, because there's a reason why stories stick around, and why they're told and I made it a hobby of mine when I, I was in a job where I traveled a great deal and I always, as since I was a child had an interest in the paranormal and the unexplained and history and legend so I made it a, a hobby of mine whenever I was in a different city or a different state or wherever I was across the country or overseas I would find a bookstore and pick up book about local ghost stories. And I now have a very large collection of books of local ghost stories. Because to me those stories that stick around, as you said, Tim, there's a reason why they do and why people hold on to that particular urban myth, legend, folklore, history. There's a reason to that and trying to explain what may have happened in the past in Today, present day, so I think that's part of some of its um, superstitions, or um, adding legend to a place or an activity. So it is interesting. I, I do think that in some ways it does have its place.
0: And and one of the weird things about Plymouth and its ghost stories is that at least you know growing up there and being into ghosts even when I was a young kid. You didn't hear a lot about the ghost stories there. There wasn't a lot of books like yours. And and in fact, I the only ones that I can think of that are even similar to yours are the books that Ed Lodi wrote. Yeah. But Ed Lodi's books weren't, you know, going out and exploring modern hauntings as much as they were taking some of the older writings that shared ghost stories and bringing them back into the present. So there's, you know, this is the first chronicling that I can think of that's been the modern ghost stories of Plymouth.
2: Yes, and that is indeed why I wrote the book, because here I had traveled um, around the world and collected ghost story books, and I arrived in Plymouth about 12 years ago, took on a job in the historical community, wanted to get a ghost story book. Specifically, wholly dedicated to Plymouth, and there wasn't one yet. I was hearing all these stories, either by um, the tours that happen. There are ghost tours in Plymouth, Colonial Lantern Tours was one. There's Spirit of Plymouth walking tours um, with historically dressed characters giving tours and telling, you know, the the different legends of the town. Um, and so this gathering of of, um, stories. I wanted to be able to connect it back to something from the past and something real and share it with others. And I think it's important too. right now with Plymouth, it's Plymouth is going to be the centerpiece of an historical celebration Mm -hmm. in 2020, where it's the 400th year the 400th anniversary of the landing of the pilgrims and so I think it's important to have a a like what I've done with my book a chronological history um, of legend folklore and ghosts available to the public because they, I I know there's an interest
0: I mean and obviously you know chronologically is one thing uh, mm-hmm. so I don't want to know the oldest ghost story that you know of from Plymouth but what is the first ghost story that you remember hearing about Plymouth?
2: Ah, one of the first ghost stories was the one that I mentioned about Abigail Townsend, the little girl ghost who supposedly haunts the Spooner house on North Street. It was said that Abigail Townsend was um, a child who passed away from uh, an abscess tooth. Do we know if she ever lived in the house most likely not. I did the research behind that. But the stories have her peering out the upstairs window, skipping rope in the alleyway, and letting uh, workmen, when there was a restoration done on the house, letting workmen into the house so that they could do their work when no one else was there. <laughs> so there's lots of different stories. Also, she purportedly... Um, followed one of the tour guides home one night when they were talking about her. She followed them, that she would attach herself to them. There really isn't any evidence, as I mentioned, that she ever lived in the house or even visited the house.
0: But you have found record of uh, of an Abigail Townsend.
2: We have found record of a um, Elizabeth Townsend, who would have been about the same age, who could have visited uh, Plymouth, but then she... Her, her death record is in Worcester. Now, we also know with, with records of that time period that if you were born in a certain place or died in a certain place, you weren't always registered mm-hmm. um, in the proper place or during the proper time period. So it could be that she was there. The other thing is, too, when we think about um, ghosts and things that stick around, We think about the land and other ways that they could be attached to a certain location. And that could be, too. She could have been someone who was in a neighboring um, place. There was this, I should mention, too, that this Elizabeth Townsend, Abigail, Elizabeth, same-sounding names. Mm -hmm. Those names were brought through during a seance at the house. um, That... She did pass away from mumps, so the swollen face. When people have reported that they've seen a girl who who has a swollen face, she had an abscess tooth. Mumps would make sense yeah. in that in that regard. So it's close, um, but also a psychic did say that that house is haunted by two ghosts. I spoke with someone and interviewed them for the book, and they are convinced that it is um, haunted by one of the men in the descendancy of the Spooners who lived there, and that his portrait hangs on the wall.
0: See, now, if I'm I'm remembering my geography right, the Spooner House is uh, just right next to the library, the old original library.
2: That's correct.
0: And uh, that's where I would go to the library when I was a, a kid growing up in Plymouth, and and that library was definitely haunted. There was definitely something in there. And then the uh, the Mayflower Society has their headquarters there as well. Mm-hmm. And that also has rumors of there being a haunting in there as well. So maybe there's just something about the energy of that entire street. Mm-hmm. that, uh, And you're still pretty close to Coles Hill over there too, which is where... All the first pilgrim bodies are.
2: That's correct. Cole's Hill, very close to it, the first burial ground of the pilgrims. And over the course of about 150 years, pilgrim bones were were um, being washed out um, from that area. They were collected, put in a sarco- sarcophagus, uh, originally above the um, the Plymouth Rock when the original portico was was. Um, built and now they are up atop Coles Hill and I do have a uh, picture of of the sarcophagus that that holds the pilgrim remains now
0: that's uh, that's that's fascinating and, and you know what else is funny about Plymouth and, and people always, you know, I, I have friends that come from all over the country that come and want to visit Plymouth, mm-hmm. and we talked about, you know, what stories are true, what stories are just legend, what tr- stories are historically accurate, and uh, kind of a lot of Plymouth is built on a on a myth because mm-hmm. people go there thinking that that's the actual rock.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, that's the rock that Mary Chilton first stepped on, um, a thirteen year old pilgrim girl. Um, but it's symbolic. Um, it's a symbolic. Rock of uh, when the pilgrims arrived, there is a story about um, someone who knew one of the pilgrims, and he told the story about that was the first place that they they stepped on. So, legend, lore.
0: I just makes I always, for a good story. I always thought it was convenient that they stepped right out on the rock that already said sixteen twenty on it. <laughs> so that right. worked that well. <laughs> right. Well, the 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 Abigail story is uh, is. You know, that's something that sticks with people all the time because, you know, ghost stories about kids. They just, they kind of stick with people and, mm-hmm. and, and it means something beyond just being your typical ghost story. It, it, it kind of hits you in the heart a little bit more when it's a child, especially a child who dies of something that we think of now as being, you know, uh, 20 minutes in a dentist chair and a little penicillin and you're fine. But uh, for back then, it was a life-threatening thing. There's a lot of stories ghost stories from Plymouth that are like that that are uh that kind of play on the heartstrings a little bit and and one of the stories that always kinda gets to me, especially because it is historically true, and because it connects so much to the to the history when you go up to Burial Hill or when you go to the courthouse and that being the, the General Arnold and that I just I can't imagine what that was like for the townspeople to to watch the suffering that went on with that.
2: Horror and suffering. I mean, just tragedy. So, the Brigantine General Arnold was a ship that was traveling from Boston and passing through Plymouth but got caught in a blizzard. They called it the Christmas blizzard of 1778. They were trapped in the ice in Plymouth Harbor, about a mile off of shore. Uh, It was a terrible three-day affair. Uh, The blizzard lasted that long. The townspeople could hear the crew. There were 103 crew members on the General Arnold. They could hear the crew screaming in pain and agony. Um, They were located just off of Brown's Bank, if people are familiar with Plymouth Harbor, sort of between Brown's Bank and the Gurnet Lighthouse. There was nothing that the townspeople could do uh, to save the crew of the General Arnold. The General Arnold crew themselves cut down masts to try to uh, make the boat lighter so that it could move through what was then becoming very frozen ice. But it didn't. It wouldn't budge at all. So the legend is that Captain James McGee, who was the captain of the brigantine General Arnold. Um, The legend is that there was rum on board, that they were transporting rum. And uh, he said to the crew, don't pour the rum down your throats, pour it into your boots, because then they wouldn't freeze to death. Their feet wouldn't freeze. And by consuming alcohol, you're lowering your body temperature and, and they would freeze to death quicker. So half the crew... Seven, excuse me, 70 members of that crew passed away. They froze to death. And gruesome, and there are gruesome details that I was able to draw out of um, uh, an eyewitness account by Dr. Thatcher, a well known doctor in Plymouth at the time. They were able to, after three days, basically walk out onto the harbor over what he described as an ice bridge and bring back the bodies to. Center. The bodies were laid out in the 1749 courthouse at Town Square on the same floorboards that are there today, and they were laid out so that family and friends could identify the frozen corpses.
0: And, and not to get particularly gruesome, but didn't they kind of have to wait for them to thaw just so they could get them yeah, in a them. position to put them into a, into a coffin?
2: They they did, and, and to pry them off of the ship as well. Um, and in my book, I, I share what Dr. Thatcher uh, wrote about what he witnessed, um, the, the gruesomeness and the grotesque poses that some of them were, were stuck in in time. Some of the the sailors were not claimed. Now there is a ghost story that says, that's reported in town, um, that on cold nights you can hear screams of agony coming from Brown's Bank and also someone is knocking on the windows of the courthouse from the inside. Blue faces. It could be I've that... I've
0: been at that courthouse at night, mm-hmm. and it's it's definitely an, an and I've been inside, and even inside, you can feel that eerie, ominous mm-hmm. uh, sense of it. And and then of course, there's the monument to those sailors uh, up on Burial Hill, and uh, and the captain didn't die with them.
2: He did not. Captain James McGee lived for a number of years after that, and he was known to go visit the graves of his seventy sailors that passed. Um, so. The legend is that the crew of the General Arnold haunts three locations in Plymouth. Browns Bank, the 1749 Courthouse, and Burial Hill. And that figure is John McGee. Looks like him when people have seen the apparition. It looks like he looked um, and And would most likely be him visiting his crew. And
0: he was buried there with them. He was buried there with them. He he asked when he died to be put with the crew.
2: He, He did. And what I love,
0: too, about some of these stories is it shows that for as a community, even going all the way back to the time of the pilgrims, there was that sense of community amongst the people of Plymouth. So even it doesn't matter. You were still one of them, even if you were somebody that was passing through and and just spending some time that you became one of them. And that's why I think these ghost stories are so great, because this is a community that's never going to let those go.
2: Right, right. They're part of the fabric of the community. Um, they're a part of the history of the community. You know, a lot of people think of Plymouth as just the Pilgrim story, and it's so much more than that. It's a 400-plus year history. Now, remember, when the Pilgrims arrived in 1620 in Plymouth, they had their own arduous journey um, to get here, they arrived to a place where for thousands of years prior, the Native American Poconocets, Wampanoag Pokanokets, had lived in Plymouth in what they called Patuxent, land of the Little Falls. Two years prior to the Pilgrim's arrival, that Patuxent tribe was decimated by plague. There was only one that survived, and it was Squanto, because he had been away. He was actually kidnapped and was enslaved and was later returned to Plymouth. So when the pilgrims arrived, they arrived to a place where the, the last of the Native Americans of that area died of plague and fell on the ground. They arrived to bleached bones on the ground. So from its very beginnings, we know a, a just tragedy desperation, decimation, plague, fear, depression, we know that that's what the pilgrims arrive to. And and the story,
0: you know, the the story that we all learn in second grade or whatever, even your kindergarten Thanksgiving pageant, whenever it is that you start learning about the pilgrims, the story is that, you know, the the pilgrims arrive, they meet Squanto, Squanto helps them, all the Native Americans are so happy to have these new neighbors and everything's great, but that's not the case at all. I mean, from the minute... the Pilgrims weren't the first settlers that the, the Poconocets had in, uh, encountered, and they had very much a lot of reason not to trust them and not to want anything to do with them. And th- that was a very tense situation for a long time. And even Squanto wasn't this benevolent being. He was playing both sides against each other. So there was a lot of, of, of kind of negative energy coming into this community right from the beginning.
2: That's correct. But what the Pilgrims and Massasoit was they did forge a peace treaty that was kept with the Wampanoags and the pilgrims for 50 years, 50 years until King Philip's war. And ironically, King Philip was the son of Massasoit and ended up having his seat with the Narragansetts in in Bristol, Rhode Island. He ended up finally in Plymouth with his head on a stake in town square so there's a great deal of irony with that and i think a great deal of disappointment and um that story just makes me feel uh as if in just one generation the the lines of communication were broken down There were the, the so much had changed from what the Pilgrims and, and um, the Wampanoags had had established. I
0: do think part of that, though, is that as Plymouth began to thrive as a colony uh, and as more and more settlers came over, you had a different group there, the, a group that didn't have the same ties to the Native Americans, that didn't have uh, a symbiotic relationship with them. And so they're coming in, treating them as if they're lower-class citizens and, and trying to take the... Uh, you know, take their people and and convert them into Christians and the the so called praying Indians. You know, so they're already they're coming in and instead of saying we need to coexist alongside of each other. They're coming in and saying, well, now there's more of us and there is a view and we're taking over.
2: That's correct. And remember too, I I do describe um, an event in the book that happened where the pilgrims on the side of the Wampanoags were um, made known that there was going to be a um, uh, a um, that the Massachusetts Indian tribe was going to come down and take over and and massacre the the old colony, the Plymouth Colony. So they were made known of that. Went on a uh, surreptitious trade mission up to Wessagusset and actually massacred the the leaders of the Massachusetts that were going to come down <laughs> and decimate them. They brought one of their uh, uh, one of their leaders, his name was Weta Wumat, they brought his head back from Augusta and planted it on a stake in Town Square. Again, flew the linen that his head was carried in, the blood-stained linen, as a flag, and it flew over the wedding of Governor Bradford and his wife, um, his new wife.
0: See, people think that, you know, when, when somebody has a, you know, do not trespass or beware of the dog sign in their yard, they think that's unfriendly. <laughs> you think that's bad. The head on the spike was, you know, far worse than, you know, the doorbell with the camera in it.
2: <laughs> that's correct. And remember, the pilgrims were coming from England by way of, of Holland, but it was not unusual that heads were put on stakes outside of, of um, London, on London Bridge,
0: right? It, and it always, you know, in, in all the, again, I let me start this off with a little bit of a caveat. Until we started doing this show... In 2006, I had never even heard of King Philip's War, mm-hmm. and I went to school in Plymouth, and they didn't teach us about it because it was such a buried thing. It's yeah. it's come to light in recent years. Um, you know, I think the you know Nathaniel Philbrick has helped with a lot of that, and and some of the other works that have come out. But it's it was a story that we kind of kept buried mm-hmm. for a long time because in this story, the white people were wrong. So and right. I didn't really know about it growing up. So I learned all that I learned through doing this show. So everything is coming at me from a bit of a paranormal lens, but uh, it was actually kind of a supernatural element that led King Philip to decide to actually go to war with the colonists uh, when, the, when there was that, um, that eclipse. And that was kind of what he saw as the sign of, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. That's and it's, very
2: interesting.
0: It's Everything about it is just so, you know, from finding uh, John Sassamon frozen under the the ice in the pond, like everything sounds almost like it's it's almost like a horror movie built around a war.
2: It is a horror movie. And really, it's one of the most important um, periods of our history that, as you said, Tim, we don't know too much about Um, King Philip's War. There was an incident that happened in Plymouth, the Clark's Garrison House, which was located in what is now part of Plymouth Plantation, where the um, coach bus parking is and where there's uh, part of the um, livestock display. That's where the Clark's Garrison House sat. And if there was any warning that there was going to be some skirmish in the area, the townspeople would go to Clark's Garrison. Well, there was... A skirmish, and that skirmish ended up turning into a massacre. Um, and 11 people, many of them women and children, were massacred by um, the Native Americans during King Philip's War in 1676. Um, and that's a story that hasn't really been told in Plymouth, but an important part of the history, given those ties to King Philip, Massasoit, the Pilgrims, when just, you know, 50 years later, uh, Uh, There was such unrest in the colony. It's it's funny because
0: I think it wasn't until I read Philbrick that I really kind of understood the, the severity of the way that it went. You know, I thought it was if the colonists could drive the natives away from the colony, that was good enough. I didn't realize that they were following them and hunting them down. And even when they said, okay, fine, we'll leave you alone, we'll go somewhere else, they still tracked them down and, and killed them wherever they found them mm-hmm. so that 's why when people say I think my house is haunted because uh, I think i'm my house is built on an Indian burial ground I always say everywhere around here is an Indian burial ground
2: that 's correct that's correct and you know i I mentioned before that uh, the you know what the pilgrims arrived to with the bleach bones of the Pocanokets on their land um, there there isn't a spot in Southeastern Massachusetts, South Shore Massachusetts, Cape Cod, all of New England that hadn't seen or felt something of this war, right? And particularly in our area. Um, so I think that that's important for people to remember. It's- and sometimes things, land holds on to energy, land holds on to tragedy, just like houses or objects or people even.
0: I mean, I definitely want to get into some deeper questions tonight, and I don't know if it's a good idea to ask deeper questions when we're about 10 minutes away from having to take the news break, but I will ask this. It's a debate that happens all the time when we talk about the Bridgewater Triangle, and when we talk about the hauntings and the strange happenings in this entire southeastern Massachusetts area, but... We talk about the tragedy of King Philip's War and everything that went on, and and even before that, just the the amount of death that happened and the the tribulations of the pilgrims and, and all of that, and it's a chicken and an egg thing. Do we think that a lot of that stuff has left a stain on the land, or is this land already cursed and that that was actually why things were maybe a little bit harder than they needed to be?
2: Well, I ask that question in my book. Is Patuxet cursed? Cursed Patuxet.
0: I mean, it seems like it could be to me.
2: It seems like it could be to me,
0: too. And uh, before we uh, forget, because I want to mention this a couple times throughout the show, but uh, the reason why this worked out perfect to have you in tonight is you're actually going to be in town again tomorrow for a book signing.
2: I am. I'm going to be here in Fairhaven at the Beautiful Collective's Holiday Fair at the Seaport Inn, 110 Bridge Street. I'll be there from 11 to 4, signing books.
0: Did they tell you that the seaport inn is haunted?
2: I think I've heard that. There's
0: one particular room; they try not to let anybody into it. But there is one particular room. And speaking of haunted rooms and hotels, uh, are you? Um, I'm sure that you probably covered it either in the book or just in your research. But uh, the uh, the Bradford and the uh, sorry the John Carver Inn.
2: The John Carver Inn
0: has is
2: it four? The third floor okay it's on the third floor some people say it's a room in the 320s some people say it's room 309
0: 309 is I think the one that I heard because when we were doing the stage show uh, Frank grace and I went to Plymouth for him to take some photos for the show and we said let's see if we can get them let us go into the, you know go take pictures of the room and we were like going back and forth like they're not gonna let us in yeah, maybe they will. Maybe they will. So we kept. finally we just decided to walk in and lean forward over the counter and say, hey, listen, we're doing a st- stage show about ghost stories. We want to just go take – and the people working there had never heard the story. But they said, if you're just going to go take a couple of pictures of the door, sure, I guess it's okay. And they let us go and do it. Uh, but I know people that have said they've stayed in that room and will never go back.
2: Wow. Wow. In my book is the story of someone who did stay in a room next to it and asked to be moved. Um, the the stories surrounding the hauntings at the John Carver Inn involve televisions that go on and off by themselves, uh, water spigots in the bathrooms going on and off by themselves, clocks flashing going on and off by themselves. But it's not just the rooms or that particular third floor that's supposedly haunted. It's also the kitchen of the John Carver Inn where some staff people have experienced very energetic spirits where they'll throw a pan across the room. One incident in particular that was described to me was on a Christmas day, on Christmas morning. And so I don't know, but I think the entire hotel could be haunted. It's built on land that um, was cleared during urban renewal. Uh, So there were many, many 17th century houses that were there until um, the 1960s. So that's a whole... I cover all... I I don't want to give away too much stuff from
0: the book, but do you pinpoint where the the legend of those hauntings might have come from?
2: Yes. I do. So I think
0: you know what I'm alluding to?
2: I think I do know.
0: That's, That's a creepy story.
2: So, Dr. Thatcher, I mentioned him before, he was the physician that was on hand during the terrible tragedy of the brigantine General Arnold. He also owned a house that was on Thatcher Street in Plymouth. And The story goes that there were medical students who lived in another house that would have been on the site of the John Carver Inn and they needed to do experiments to learn about anatomy and to learn about the body and to be better doctors. They were learning at this point in their careers that they would, the story goes, that they would go to Burial Hill and Grave rob. And
0: that was actually a pretty lucrative profession back then because people think that they would go up and steal the jewelry or whatever, but they were the bodies are where the money was at yep. because of medical students needing fresh corpses to work on. Yep.
2: They needed fresh corpses to work on. So they could have been in that, in a house. I was not able to find in my research that there truly was a house where medical students lived (laughs) and, you know, in the 1700s they were doing this. That's the legend. And it may, might make sense because Dr. Thatcher lived there.
0: I call it the Liberty Valence effect. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. That's right. And uh, think about that story next time you're having breakfast at the hearth and kettle. <laughs> so there were your cup of coffee, eating your eggs, and all of a sudden you know you hear something crash. What was that? It's probably the ghost of one of those bodies that was taken from Burial Hill. Well, we only have uh, about five minutes left before we have to take a break for the news. Uh, Again, the phone numbers are 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. When we come back after the news, we'll get into some more of these Plymouth ghost stories. Uh, We'll talk about uh, your travels, too, and and all these other places that you've been to. I'm very interested in finding out some of these other places you've had a chance to check out. And uh, I'll just mention really briefly before... We go into the break that, uh, as I mentioned, I went to school there as a kid. I started going to West Elementary School, and then when I hit fifth grade, they had to start going to Nathaniel Morton. So I'm I'm going, you know, in the 80s, West was still a pretty modern school, and I go from this nice, happy little community school-type place to all of a sudden I'm put into this federal-style building that uh, just, it looks, for anybody that's never seen it, it looks like the school from A Christmas Story complete with the flagpole out front and everything. But that place was haunted. I can swear to you that that place was haunted. I was on the top floor in my fifth grade classroom, and we had access to the attic area, and I would sneak up there just like in The NeverEnding Story, and uh, and there was there was a lot of stuff just going on in that building. But I'm not surprised because you're right there on the water where people have lived for hundreds of years
2: that's correct. In thousands of years as we mentioned with the sure. native american population i have heard too that it's haunted i didn't cover it in my book i was chock a block full with stories well, already and and you know that and every kid hard. thinks
0: their school is haunted yes. you know yeah but uh, it was always great when cuz we used to have to go to the basement that's where the cafeteria was mm-hmm. and so you'd go down to the basement and you'd have your lunch and you didn't want to be the last kid walking up the staircase going back to the classroom because you, you just always felt like something was following you from the basement down there. So mm. Definitely a creepy place. So if any kids are listening that go to school there now, <laughs> <they're> <laughs> like, I don't want to go to school Monday. That guy said it's haunted.
2: But you know, it's sort of like when you think about the John Carver Inn and being haunted, maybe it could be that... Thousands of people have passed through mm-hmm. the John Carver Inn. Who knows what kind of baggage they're bringing with them in addition to their luggage. And, and the same with schools. Thousands and thousands of children have have passed through that school as well as teachers.
0: And I always say, you don't have to have tragedy to happen right. for, it to, for it to leave a piece of your energy behind. Everywhere we go, we leave a piece of ourselves and if the factors are right, maybe somebody else can experience that piece later on. It doesn't even mean that it's our ghost. It just means it's a bit of energy that we've left behind. So mm-hmm. so we'll talk about more coming up in the next hour, uh, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to call in. You can also jump into the chat room, and I'm sorry if I've been ignoring the chat room. I'm sure there's a bunch of questions in there. Th- are they still doing that thing, Matt, where they put the questions in capital letters? Uh, yes. Okay, so, uh, if you have some questions that you want to ask in there, we'll try and make sure that we get to them between Matt and myself. We'll keep an eye on it and uh, see if we can get into those coming up in the next hour as well. Just a little bit of a plug for some of our stuff coming up. Uh, just to let everybody know we still have some tickets left for our two upcoming events. We have our Lizzie's March to Murder at Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast coming up on March 3rd, 2018. Uh, we have uh, probably about 10, 8 or 10 tickets left for that. If you're looking for a Christmas gift that you want to give somebody that, you know, something unique and different, something beyond just the regular you know gift certificate to go out to dinner or something like that you can get tickets to that event and also we have coming up october 13th 2018 the reverend barnard the parson barnard house in north andover massachusetts on the 300th anniversary of thomas barnard's death the exact day the 300th anniversary of his death we are going to be holding what we're calling the exoneration where we will try and clear the Reverend's name from being associated with the Salem Witch trial. Well, he was associated with the Salem Witch Trials, but the story is that he was one of the accusers and that he was going after people and, and, and putting them on the stand and, and accusing them of being witches when in all actuality, it seems like the research that's being done there is that he was working to try and end the witch trials and that somehow his name got lumped in with Cotton Mather and and got lumped in as one of the accusers so we're calling it the exoneration because we are trying to clear his good name so we'll be doing that on October 13th, 2018 there's still tickets for that available as well if you want to go to either of these events or any of the events that we uh, hold you can go to SpookySouthCoast.com on the events page there while you're on the website sign up sign up for alerts it alerts you when we put up a new event. It alerts you when we go live with the show, right, Matt? We get live. Yep. It, so and there's, and you know, you know, you never know what we're going to be throwing up there. We have a lot of ideas coming up for the upcoming year. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that we throw up on the site without right. any kind of announcement. So you're going to want to be part of that.
1: Right. We're talking. We're talking a lot about um, adding some extra content for uh, a lot of people out there. Yeah. But um, and uh, this year we might actually do it.
0: <laughs> so subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. That's all I can tell you. And then of course you'll get on our mailing list as well. So we're gonna take a break right now for the news. When we come back we'll talk more about the ghosts of Plymouth with our guest Darcy Lee and more spooky South Coast coming up. <laughs> Welcome back. Our number two of spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the Silent Assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and Stephanie Burke. Both off tonight. Uh, they will. I think they're. They'll probably both be back next week. I think Stephanie will. Yeah, I think so. Moniz is. Uh, Moniz is very busy this time of year, so. We'll right, see. being
1: being uh, Krampus.
0: Is that what it is? <laughs> I think so. Is that yeah. he didn't he didn't tell me exactly what he was doing, so. Keeps it under wraps. I don't blame them. Well, you don't want to get that. You don't want that out of the bag. (laughs) But uh, we are here talking about the paranormal, and uh, we're talking about the ghosts of Plymouth, Massachusetts, tonight with our guest Darcy Lee. She's here with us in the studio. Before we get back into the discussion, we have a few thank yous to give uh, over the the break there, over the news. We want to say thank you to Anna, who came in with some Christmas candies for us that I should have not mentioned on the show because now Stephanie and Moniz are going to know when we don't share. I'm just kidding. We're going to share with them.
1: We'll just be like, uh, Moniz and Stephanie, Anna brought us a half a box of chocolates. <laughs>
0: she brought you uh. each a chocolate. Right.
1: She's like, all these have bites out of them. Hmm. Well, I wonder how that happened.
0: Because we had to figure out which ones were the ones with the, That's right. the raspberry. That's right. Because those it's, are what you like, those right? Are- this is a garbage one. <laughs> they were all good. Those Russell store, oh, those are all good. Uh, we want to say thank you to her. And uh, we want to say thank you. He probably doesn't want us to, to mention his name, but we got to say thank you to uh, somebody in the chat room who just helped us out huge with a holiday donation. Right, so, of course.
1: Professor so, Eric. Uh,
0: I was going to not mention his name. Well, I thought
1: you were just going gonna... well, to. He did say in the chat. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, thank you very much, Professor Eric, for that uh, for that very generous donation that we will use to immediately get the uh, iTunes, uh, the uh, iOS store taken care of, and we'll have the app back up for people. Do, do Do you almost feel now like we need a better app?
1: Um, maybe, maybe the pressure's <laughs> on now.
0: You made a great app, Matt. You made a great <laughs> app. Not bad for I being your so. first time. Right. Exactly. Although, I really wish we had come... See, we should have made the iPoop app. We talked about it for years. And now it's <laughs> yeah, huge. Yep, yep. See, and if we had just done it... There's so many apps that we came up with ideas for that we just never followed through on that people are going to steal from us. Remember when, remember when I wanted to have that business where I just drove fast food to the people at the UMass dorms?
1: Oh, yeah. Is that a thing now?
0: Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a huge it? it's a huge business now. Hmm. Yeah, and, and Uber does it. Oh, Uber really? has Uber Eats, where right. they'll, they'll bring you food delivery. Man. See? And I was going to do this with like uh, like a 1980s Zach Morris cell phone yeah. and some flyers at UMass Dartmouth. I don't know if I would get
1: fast food uh, delivered, though. Like, I don't know, like McDonald's fries? Not to name, not to call them out by name, but they have like a three-second shelf life. Then they turn ice cold. So I got to eat them all at once. Have you, have you just shove as many fries
0: as we should. We, we have to let Darcy in on this. Oh, There's always just, a portion of the we show. Just talk about food. Yeah, where well, we just talk about food. It's it's never planned. It doesn't. It's not right. supposed to happen that way. But it just it's a rabbit hole we fall down every week. We get the hungry horse. But uh, McDonald's now also offers. Have you seen this now? But they do. They offer a basket of fries. A basket of fries. So instead of just buying like a small, medium, large. You know, uh, right. supersized, all that stuff. You can buy a basket of fries, like you would, if you went to, like, you know, huh. like Cool Cone or something. So you buy this, like, basket of McDonald's fries. And I'm like, but they get cold when it's a small. Yeah. But I got one one time. I noticed
1: they have uh, the, the nuggets that are, like, you get two 10-piece nuggets for $5 or the 20-piece for $5.
0: Right. McDonald's is nothing if not precise <laughs> with, their, with their math. But it's, yeah, I don't know the uh my my favorite is that up my favorite though is when uh you go over there like with the app cuz i use the app because i like to save money sometimes i go over there and i use the app and i don't even want two sandwiches but i buy two sandwiches because i have the app just eat one <laughs> take one home
1: mm-hmm.
0: somebody will eat it or bring it here somebody will eat it but uh every time i use the app it's like i'm the first person that's ever gone into that mcdonald's and ever used an app like, they're like, oh, uh, hold on. Uh, what do I do? Uh, wait, let me call the manager over. Uh, I'm not sure. It's not working. Like, no, it is working. You just don't want to give me that free sandwich.
1: Right. Between that and the uh, the ice cream machine, that's always broken.
0: <laughs> oh, man, don't get me started on that. Listen, McDonald's, I shouldn't mm. eat your food. I really shouldn't. <laughs> and I try not to. I've had very little McDonald's in, in recent months. Stop oh, making it so delicious. But... Don't mess around with me when I want a dollar soft serve vanilla mm-hmm. ice cream cone.
1: Well, they brought back the dollar menu, did they?
0: I don't know. Did they? Mm. When I want that,
1: it used to be like the dollar twenty nine, whatever. When, when value I want there. that
0: dollar or a dollar twenty, whatever it is, right. when I want that vanilla soft serve cone, just give it to me. <laughs> I don't mess around when it comes to my ice cream. It's true. But anyway, we digress, as we always do. Uh, let's get back into the discussion for tonight's show. And if you want to call in at any point with any questions, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Uh, but we did have some questions that popped up in the chat room during the first hour and during the, the break. So we want to try and see if we can address those first. Uh, Matt, i just going to scroll through. Uh, so a question from James. Uh, they want to know if, you know, we talked about King Philip's head being on a, on a pike in in Plymouth, do they feel like Metacom King Philip, do they feel
2: like he haunts Plymouth? Some people do say that he does, because in the area where it's been determined where his head was placed on a uh, spike, it's located in Town Square. So down the hill from Burial Hill, um, there's uh, an area that's right in front of the First Parish Meeting House, which is on the cover of my book, and that they believe that that's where his head was. It, people have had very strong feelings of just desperation, fear, and something very, very negative is there. Could he be haunting Plymouth? He could. It's a it's you know a tragedy and an irony that, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that his father was Massasoit, who brokered the peace with the Pilgrims, and that he would then be brought back after having been drawn and quartered, um, and also have his hand brought back um, as well to Plymouth as a symbol of. Um,
0: and not I mean not to mention either he felt that the Pilgrims killed his brother Wamsutta. You know, even though he supposedly died of the flu. Right. Like, he he always blamed them for his death. That's part of what kicked off the war. Right. So, I mean, he had a good reason to be angry and to not want to leave. And when we say that his head was on a pike in the middle of downtown Plymouth, we're not talking about, like, they put it out there, and then when it started to stink, they said, let's go... Put it away.
2: It was there for a long time. It was there for 20 years. That's a long time to have it's a head That's a on very mind. long time. And it sends a message. Yeah,
0: Jeffrey Dahmer didn't keep heads around that much. No, that
2: he did not. But it definitely sends the message of, don't mess with us. It's our place now. And look what we did to him, the leader. Just imagine what we'll do to you.
0: And, you know, talking about some of these older stories... You know, there's a a lot of them. There's a lot of stuff that dates back to that era. There's a lot of stuff that comes through a lot of the colonial era. But Plymouth is a town that is still very much a living, breathing entity. And it's still holding in its ghosts. It's still collecting its ghost stories. One of my, I don't know if you covered it in the book, but one of my favorite haunted places in Plymouth, and a lot of people don't know about it, but then when I bring it up, they say, Oh, yeah, I can see that. One of my favorite haunted locations in Plymouth is Cordage Park. Uh-huh. It is in the book. Nice.
2: Yes. So, Cordage Park was a place that was once called the Cordage Rope Company. And it was the largest manufacturer of rope in the world. It was a sprawling complex, um, multiple acres of buildings, train tracks... a a couple of different docks. Um, So this was, uh, you know, they supplied rope to the world for rigging, for anything that you could ever imagine that rope is used for. So thousands and thousands of people and generations of families worked at the Cordage Company. And it was around for about 150 years. So, one can imagine from its earliest beginnings, it's a very industrial place. It's a very industrial business. And workers would um, be working in conditions that um, might not have always been the safest conditions. There are stories about, that I have, I, ha- I heard a lot of stories, let me put it this, this way, about hauntings in the train tunnel. Hauntings in the main cordage building of an elevator going up and down, or the the voices of workers late at night. Music would be people would hear music late at night. There's also the story of um, what people believe to be the screams and cries of a small child coming from one of the smokestacks. So I met with the person who had been the general manager of the uh, property for decades and asked him his opinion about whether any of Cordage is haunted. And he told me the story about, you know, uh, that in any place, working in such conditions, it could be dangerous. He wasn't aware of any child that would ever have been sent into a smokestack to clean it. Most likely, that's not true. He said that the noise that was being heard late at night by different people, security guards, was probably noise coming from the black raspberry pub. (laughs) Elevators operating on their own, someone could have pressed the button, walked away. Um, So, those stories he wasn't so keen on that it was haunted, but he did tell me a story that makes a lot of sense about the train tunnel. So the trains would operate by um, an engineer and and um, workers who would check to see where in a tunnel where they would have to um, they would have to make sure that another train wasn't coming in the tunnel when they were entering the tunnel. So the trains would run from the docks to the factory and from the factory to the docks. So it was critical that um, before entering the tunnel, the engineers send a worker to check to make sure that that tunnel was clear so that they could pass. There is a story about one of the engineers, and reportedly he was under the influence of alcohol at the time, He did hit one of the workers, and a worker was killed in the train tunnel at the Cordage. So there could be a haunting of the tunnel of someone who was killed in such a tragic and dangerous way. There's also a story about one of the office buildings at Cordage Park. It's now an office building. It was what they called the Recreation Center. Attached to that was the Cordage Park commissary that was called um, Harris Hall. Over the years after Cordage Park closed down as a rope manufacturer, the buildings have served different purposes. They've either been torn down, they either remain uh, in their storage facilities, or they become a different business as with the office building that's a separate entity now from from the Cordage company in 1992 there were two abductions of young women from the facility of the recreation center from the stairs of the facility of the recreation center one of them women tragically was murdered inside of the old harris hall building Ooh. Yes, and that was connected to the Recreation Center. Very tragic tale. Um, it was uh, the man who, who did this is now in jail for the rest of his life. Um, but there were reports in the office building, at the the office that was connected to the entrance to that Harris Hall area, there were reports of electronics just going haywire. Um Printers printing on their own and not just one printer. There would be a printer that would malfunction and print on its own blank sheets of paper. The staff in the office called in their tech person to check on this. There was nothing wrong with the printer. They ended up having to get a new printer and the same thing would happen. So they've also, the staff... Members in this particular office have also reported hearing shrieks and cries in uh, late at night, if they've had to stay late. They hear that off in the direction of where Harris Hall once stood. Harris Hall no longer stands. It was torn down after this, after this incident. So there could very well be ghosts that haunt. The vast complex of the Cordage Company.
0: Well, I'm here to tell you firsthand that there are. When I was younger, uh, you know, in, in the 80s, when I was living in Plymouth, Cordage Park was kind of a, a I don't want to say happening place, but there was a lot of activity there, mm-hmm. a lot of stores. And, uh, and we would often go there and, and do shopping and, and what have you. And uh, toward... It, was, it must have been in the early 90s because we were already living in Wareham. Uh, but we were – my dad used to have a flea market table that he would go to different flea markets and, and sell auto parts. And we were – they had a flea market at Cordage Park for a little while. And we were there. And I just, I just remember it always being super dark inside of there. But anyway, I remember that uh, the person who was in charge of the building – and this was in the long, not the main cortage Park building where all the, like, where the pub is and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but the long building heading toward the now vacant Walmart. Uh, but in that middle section, they had the flea market. And the person that was in charge of the building gave me five bucks to go walk around and open up all the doors in the main building. So I went in there, and uh, one of the first things that I did is I, I had to use the restroom. So I went to. And if anybody's ever been in Cordage Park, the restrooms are kind of weird in there. Especially, it's like a long hallway that you walk into, and then there's there's stalls that have like tall doors, so when you're in the stall, you're closed in. And I went into the bathroom, and I closed the door, and it was was a sit-down affair. So uh, as I sat down, I could hear the door to the bathroom close. And I'm like, but I haven't opened any of the doors yet. Who followed me into the bathroom? And I'm just thinking to myself, some weirdo is coming into the bathroom with me. And I can't see when they're coming because of the doors. You can't see underneath to see people's feet or what have you. And then I hear the other doors to the other stalls kind of banging. And I'm like, it's coming toward me, but nothing happened. And so when I open the door and I go out, oh, there's nobody in there. Mm-hmm. And I, at this time, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking anything paranormal or anything ghosts. Uh, but as I'm walking around... I'm just feeling like there's somebody watching me, like there's somebody following me, and I keep turning around, and there's nobody behind me. And I, I just run through, and I, I open up all those doors, and I ran back. But it made me think of a story from when I was younger. And it, when, when, you were tell, when you were talking before about hearing the, the singing and hearing the voices, I remember being in Cordage Park, and they have that, they have the elevator in the middle, but they also have that staircase next to it, and I was going up the staircase or coming down, but I was on the stairs, and all of a sudden, I heard music, singing, coming out of nowhere, and it wasn't Muzak coming over the system, it wasn't anything like that, and I remember saying something to my dad about it, and he was, I don't know if he was just joking with me or what, but I just had metal fillings put in, and so he was like, oh, your metal fillings are probably picking up the radio station, but I lived way closer to the WPLM Towers than I was when I was at Cordage Park. So I would think that if my feelings were going to rattle from the radio, it would be when I was at home, when I was closer to it. And so I never really put that thought into my head until you mentioned that that maybe what I heard was some of that kind of that fan... Because I definitely you know would not be surprised if somebody heard voices in there. I'm sure I heard whispering when I was running around in there. Uh, but it's it's definitely a place where I got super freaked out. So bad that I didn't even go back there for a number of years. Wow, so that really affected you. It did. I mean, and usually that kind of stuff doesn't freak me out, but it took um, it took them opening up a record store, like, and me wanting to go in there and find some some old records for me to actually go there. It was, uh, you know, the guy had like all the all the import CDs and all that stuff. Then I was like, well, I gotta go get these CDs, and I can't get them anywhere else. So I guess I have to go to Cordage Park. But even that Walmart, I would never go there. Wow. Now they've moved the Walmart.
2: Yes. They've torn down the Walmart. It is now um really a vital Cordage Park, even though it's haunted, <laughs> is and has was, is and remains a very vital part of the community because it's now home to doctors' offices, restaurants, they're building ownership. a new Yes, and, and they're building a medical center. They have a mar- they're, they have a marina there. There's a, um, a T stop there, so people can take the train in to and from Boston. So it's a really vital part of the community,
0: and it's a fantastic location. Mm-hmm. And when you're there and you're going there, you're like, why can't they do any more with this than they did? And maybe they've kind of finally broken out of that that curse. Of, of what was there for so long, but it's uh, it's certainly a, a great place to go and walk around and, and hang out and, and just go and see for yourself, and it is stepping right back into history. Right. And for those of you who don't know, the Walmart that was there at the time was, if I remember right, was the only Walmart in the country that looked different than every other Walmart. They got a special, they had to, had to have a special arrangement with Walmart to come in there that it had to look like Cordage Park. It had to be a brick building that looked like it fit in. So they couldn't just build it like the regular Walmarts they do everywhere else. And then they go through all that trouble and say, hey, we're going to go move across town now.
2: (laughs) Interesting factoid. Yeah. But even that area,
0: I mean, even the area where where Colony Place is and all that stuff that they have now, you know, I grew up not that far from there. And that was a lot of that was all woods and, Mm -hmm. you know, back road stuff. And Route 44 was nothing like it was then. When you went down Route 44, especially at night, it was freaky. Yes,
2: yes, it was a rural route um and now it's a major highway and we still refer to it in Plymouth as the new forty four and the old forty four <laughs> <Right. laughs> is there is there a place now that um you know, there's all
0: these historical stories, but is there a, a place with a haunting that you can think of that's a, a more recent story, like a more recent maybe tragedy that affected it, something from like the 70s, 80s, 90s era?
2: Yes, I can tell you um, that in the late 90s, uh, there was a, a terrible murder Um Leiden Street. Now, Leiden Street was the street where, when the pilgrims left the fort, they built their houses on Leiden Street. So, it's one of the oldest streets in America. Very historic, lovely mansions line the street today, and there's a, a hill that goes straight down to the water. Um, in one of those houses in the late 1990s lived a man and a woman in a house that had been converted into apartments. Suddenly the wife disappeared. She was supposed to go to a party um, and then appear at work. She worked locally and she didn't arrive and she didn't show up at work. During that time her husband disappeared as well. So. She was missing for three months. Three months. And they had searched the apartment. They had searched the entire house. As I mentioned, it's a number of apartments in that house. There are a number of apartments in that house. They had searched the attic. They had tried to track her through credit cards. The husband was on the run. They were able to track him and find him. But that's after... They eventually found her up in the attic. He had murdered her and hid her in the attic. Hid her so well that even the police couldn't find her for those three months. They eventually caught him because he was using her credit cards. He was gambling. He was down in... um, uh, um, in New Jersey, gambling. And that's where they, they eventually found him. And they tracked him because someone recognized that he his name because there was a warrant out for his arrest and they were just about to do a special on America's Most Wanted to try to find him. So he was brought back to Massachusetts. What was interesting about um, what people would eventually experience, people who lived in that apartment, was that... Um, the couple had all sorts of um, different videotapes back in the the era of, era of videotapes, and well, many of them... They weren't that far from Video Paradise, right? <laughs> That's you know, right? That's right. But they had a collection of videos of the television show Little House on the Prairie, and supposedly this was the woman's favorite show on TV. People who later moved into that particular apartment would experience their television going on by itself. They did not press the the clicker or turn the TV set on. And when it went on, it went on to the show, Little House on the Prairie.
0: Wow. Which, by the way, isn't really on television all that much anymore. So that's extra freaky. Now, Leiden is one of those streets on the hills that come off of Samoset, right? What is with the hills in that area? They seem to have—it's almost like there's a, a geomagnetic power to them.
2: There could be. There very well could be. I mean, we know that what is in the earth—rock, stones, quartz, metals—they all attract energies and shift energies. So Plymouth is a place that's very, very hilly. It's uh, you know ups and downs and and groves and grooves and um so the terrain itself um is is like that where there's rock sand land pine barrens
0: one of the freakiest places and it's it's beautiful don't get me wrong uh but it also just creeps me out to be there is the forefathers monument Mm. And And I haven't been to the top of the Standish Monument in Duxbury, but I've heard it's kind of the similar feel, and that there seems to be it's almost like the Forefathers Monument is some kind of a beacon to whatever is out there because if it's just creepy.
2: It's interesting that you should say that about the forefathers monument because there is a house that I wrote about in the book. I interviewed um, an individual who uh, reported that he had seen and experienced a haunting at a house that is on that street. And his friend, it was a childhood friend who lived there, that friend and his family experienced terrifying apparitions and it was so bad that they moved. They left overnight. They just could not take the hauntings anymore. One of a tall and slender man, a vision that would walk through the room. He was menacing looking. Um, and noises, slamming doors, unexplainable noises, just terrifying visions that they experienced. It's a house very close to the forefathers monument. It doesn't surprise me at all.
0: Like I said, it's beautiful, it's it, you know, when you walk around it and you read all the inscriptions and you realize what it's there for, it's it's phenomenal, but at the same time like you know, my my dad used to he used to work early mornings and sometimes I would go with him and we'd be riding around and that was like one of those spots where you just you didn't even want to look at it if the sun wasn't up yet, you know, like driving by it it was kinda of like, All right, I know it's there. I I, I know that she's standing there. Um and, and it's still, you know, if I'm driving, like when, you know, when you're driving around at night and you want to kind of creep yourself out a little bit, you take a little stroll by, a little ride by. Mm-hmm. You park the car, maybe run up, dare yourself to run up and then run back. But it certainly, it certainly definitely has a, a power. Uh, now, I think when people hear about Plymouth and they think about Plymouth, a lot of people look at Plymouth Plantation and they say, you know, here's an area that, uh, you know, is reaching back into history, but it's... It's kind of, it's more of a modern recreation of what it was. It's not, it's not like you're dealing with buildings that are authentic to the time period. They're just recreations of that. But Plymouth Plantation has a lot of reputation of having activity around it. And I'm assuming a lot of that could also include more modern era stuff, too.
2: Yes. Well, I did, you know, in the, um, earlier hour of the show talk about Clarks Garrison Mm -hmm. and uh, it has been reported that in that area there are shrieks and cries and just a general dismal feeling. Um, Plum Plantation itself is uh, a well-researched reproduction living history museum and and attraction and everyone should go there and experience A Thanksgiving dinner there. So, all through the month of November, they have.
0: Listen, the sister station to our station, Fun 107, they were actually over there on Thanksgiving morning, but they didn't bother to bring anything back for the AM side at all. But, you know, but I have heard that the meals there are phenomenal.
2: Yes. It's a terrific experience. And if you want to, you know, interact with living history characters who are playing. Actual people that we know of in history: Winslow, um, White, uh, Bradford, Alice Southworth. Um, it's it's really a fascinating experience. Other places, if you're interested, and in, you know, apart from hauntings, but where you can get the real history of. Plymouth and Plymouth Colony, everyone should visit Pilgrim Hall Museum um, and uh, really see the Pilgrim story and the Native American story through the real artifacts of the Pilgrims. So I think those are two things. If, if people haven't done that, they should check them off their, their to-do list or their bucket list.
0: And, and speaking of, of Plymouth Plantation uh, and the interpretations there, a good friend of the show, Tim Turner, is uh, one of the native interpreters there and he also runs the native Plymouth Tours and we've been trying to get him on for years to talk about the Native American ghost story so we'll get him on sometime it's very hard to get anyone from the Wampanoag tribe, to come on and talk about that because it's considered taboo for them to share those stories with outsiders.
2: Yes, that's true. But Tim does a terrific native Plymouth tour, uh, walking tour, that people should um, take. I have taken that tour before and really learned some nuggets of information that I hadn't heard before.
0: There was, there was one, uh, I, I guess the, the chief of the tribe uh, a couple of years ago, It was probably about 10 years ago now. I made arrangements through email, uh, and I think we even talked on the phone for him to come on the show. And originally he was going to come in, and then he changed his mind and said he just wanted to do it over the phone. And he was going to come on and share some Native American ghost stories with us and supernatural stories. And it got to be the night of the show, and 9 o'clock, so we come on the air at 10 o'clock, so it's about 9 o'clock, I'm hitting the highway on my way here, And my phone rings, and it's him. And he says, listen, I just can't do it. I'm just, I'm getting too much pressure from others, from the other elders. I can't do it. And so it just amazes me how much, you know, and it it was like this with, and I'm sure you dealt with it, with a lot of the any of the ghost stories in Plymouth, people hold on to them so tightly and they kind of didn't want to share them with the outside world. I'm, uh, I'm sure that, you know, being part of that historical community gave you that leg in that a, an outsider wouldn't have been able to get.
2: Yes, I think that helped. Um, I do think it helped because people do hold on to those stories. And, you know, is it a cultural difference with the um, Native American culture? Yes. Um, it. We're a little, I, I think... Um, In Plymouth, in the historical community, uh, they're cautious about the stories that are out there because, as I mentioned when I was researching this book, we want to be able to tie the stories to a real incident, a real person. Um, We just don't want it to be folklore or urban myth because that mixes up history too much for people. Um, So, with that said... Another place that people should, when they're visiting Plymouth, that they should check out is the Spire Center for the Performing Arts. There's a show almost every night, whether it's a um, musical show, uh, uh, different acts that perform there, or whether it's a play or a dance show. There's something there um, for, for everyone. It's a great place to be um, on an evening in Plymouth. But that is very a very haunted building. And that's, which building is that in? It's called the Spire Center, and it's on the corner of Brewster Street and Court Street. It is a former Methodist church, Mm -hmm. and it was um, purchased by the town to serve as a performing arts center. The Methodists were, um, they're known for singing and music, and they built this with, the most wonderful acoustics. So it's a, really, it's a treasured building, um, beautiful to look at, great place to see a show, but indeed very haunted in the story of the hauntings of the Spire Center in this book. First-hand accounts from people who work there. Did you cover
0: Station 1 in the book?
2: I did cover Station 1. Station 1 is now the San Diego's Mexican Eatery great place to go to eat, have a margarita. I interviewed one of the bartenders and she told me stories that would raise the hair up on the back (laughs) of your neck. Um, A dog spotted in the basement, Um, just strange happenings. People would be terrified to go downstairs in the basement, yet they have to because they have to work the taps down in the basement. Um, But just strange occurrences in Station 1. It's funny because I remember
0: when, uh, you know, it still was a fire station, I think, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but they turned it into the, into the Station 1 restaurant before it was mm-hmm. San Diego's, and I remember reading something about this, you know, grand opening and everything, and there was just a little throwaway line in the story about how, you know, and you know they're not even paying attention to rumors that it's haunted. I was like, what the what? <laughs> like, this is something that people are putting in newspapers? But so, you can't help it in Plymouth.
2: You can't help it in Plymouth. And in particular with those buildings, so those buildings on uh, Court Street, Main Street, uh, North Street, they're all connected underground. Oh, wow. Yes. Now, you can look through in some of the basements, and I mentioned Mercy Otis Warren's house um, which is included in this book The Collection of Ghost Stories with James Warren being uh, the, the vision that someone saw in the house but they're connected because of pipes that run through and so you can look in some of the basements and see other buildings' basements so energies moving through buildings and basements I think that really happens in the, those buildings
0: and not, let's not forget either that, you know, the water is right there. So mm-hmm. that's going to help power up a lot of this stuff. And even though you've got the ocean right there, in that area, people don't realize this, there's a lot of running brooks mm-hmm. and, and little rivers and creeks and stuff that's all kind of flowing through there. I mean, everything that's downtown, the water is flowing underneath there heading down into Brewster Gardens. There's there's definitely an amping up of the, of the energies there.
2: That's correct, yes. And it's reported... And I interviewed someone for the book, and this story is in the book about shadow people walking up and down North Street. Um, that they're just going about their business. It's as if it's a residual haunting. People doing their, you know, regular day-to-day activities, walking up and down North Street. That that they have been seen as shadow people.
0: Is there? Uh,
2: I mean. We might have covered it, but do you have a favorite ghost story of Plymouth? That's a good question. I think one of my favorite ghost stories is of the Captain Thompson Phillips house. That house is the only house in Massachusetts that has been given the moniker as officially haunted. They... It was. It's also one of Plymouth's earliest hauntings as well, but there was a major court case that happened um, where the owner of the building, he was renting it out to tenants, um, where he sued his tenants for defamation, and the court came back and said, you can't say that... A house is not haunted. If your tenants fled and left you high and dry because they were afraid of the noises and the spirits and the experiences in the house, then they're not slandering you. They were truly afraid and that house is haunted. So I described the entire um Experience and the witnesses that would see a pale bluish light in the window, um, and the different things that would happen—the wrapping of canes on the walls and groaning noises—it's all described in the book. And, and is there a, is there a museum in that building? That's the, I think you're referring to the Taylor Trask Museum. Yes. Um, this house is on Middle Street, and it is uh, currently a five-unit uh, apartment building.
0: But the the Trask Museum has has a haunting in it as well. It does indeed.
2: Yes, it's the haunted um, uh, preambulator or buggy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've I never understood what a pram is. I'm like, it's, yeah, it's, a it's, pram. Just, it's a It's a buggy. That's what it is. It's a buggy. It's a baby buggy that moves on its own.
0: Yes. You got to love some of these stories because it's you know it it, it could be the least little thing but it ties into a bigger overall picture. And that's the thing about... We look at a lot of towns... Like, right, not to plug myself here, but I'm, I'm wearing the shirt right now. I worked on a show called Haunted Towns, and we look at places where we say, where does all the activity that's happening in all these hauntings seem to have a, a center connection? And Plymouth is one of those places where you it doesn't have to be all relating to the pilgrims, it doesn't have to be all relating... But there's some sort of... Center power that is powering up all of these hauntings, Mm -hmm. and uh, and that's why I say you know getting getting back into that you know chicken or the egg thing. There's just there's something there. There's something there that is keeping these stories alive, keeping these hauntings active, keeping people experiencing these because I do think that you have to experience a haunting for it to actually be a, a true thing that happens, and it's making sure that you know these stories will never go away.
2: Right. Right. And I think that there's an energy about Plymouth that I've never experienced anywhere else. There are times when it's a very negative energy, that there's something negatively pervasive. Then there's a time that it's a very excitable energy. There's so much to do and so much going on in Plymouth. Um, It's a place where uh, there's lots of entertainment venues. It's a place where people want to come to visit. Millions of people from around the world come every year to visit Plymouth. There was just what two hundred thousand people at the parade. At the parade, of really, you know what—that one That's of like the Macy's best parade numbers. It's it, it's a little bit less than Macy parade numbers, but I can tell you, this is something that you should see if you haven't been to the Plymouth Thanksgiving Parade. It's the weekend before, um, before. Thanksgiving, and it is the chronological history of Plymouth represented in that parade, and it's such a good time, great for families.
0: One of my favorite spots, uh, in, in just a few minutes that we have left, uh, I just want to ask you, one of my favorite places to go in Plymouth and just spend time, you know, I mentioned how I just love to go to Burial Hill, but another place that I love to go to is the Jenny Gristmill area. Yes. Is, any
2: ghost stories that have come out of there? No, I don't have any ghost stories about the Jenny Grissmill area, but do go to the Jenny Mill and Lucio's pub, particularly on a sunny day because you can sit outside and you can sit by the, the wheel as it's 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 turning the water wheel and um, just have that that soothing sound of that, that wheel in the water. It's a really great experience. I have
0: not been since they've become that... Location. I I went when it was run of the mill, mm-hmm. and they had the best burgers that I'd ever had anywhere. But I I love to just pack a, a picnic. You know, when my, when my son was little, we'd pack a picnic and we'd go there and people don't really discover the fact that you can walk over to the other little mm-hmm. island and, and spend time there, but that's why I'm glad. I never found any ghost stories there either, so I'm glad you didn't either, because no. it's a nice, peaceful place to go and get away from the ghosts that are everywhere else Yes. in Plymouth.
2: Yes. Very haunted. Plymouth is very haunted. North, south, east, west. Indeed. And
0: that's... Uh, we really only covered kind of the, the, the downtown area. I mean, Plymouth is so sprawling, and, uh, and I know that, you know, south Plymouth has a lot, because I live close to south Plymouth. There's a lot of there's a lot of roads where you want to make sure that uh, you know you have your high beams on and somebody in the passenger seat with you while you're going down the road Mm -hmm. because it's just that freaky so so much more that we can cover and we'll definitely have you back again to talk more Uh, but tomorrow people can come out and see you in person they can meet you they can pick up the book they can share their own stories with you let everybody know where you're going to be tomorrow
2: i'll be at the seaport Inn tomorrow at the beautiful collectives holiday fair it runs from 11 to 4 i will be signing and selling books and i'd be happy to personally a book to anyone. Great for uh, holiday presents for people, and great as a keepsake of your, of your own.
0: And we have a lot of uh, listeners uh, in this area who are, you know, not just interested in the idea of the paranormal, even to the show, that it's not just about the ghosts. People love history, and they love something like this where, and, and I know just by talking with you and, and, and hearing your background, that the history was just as important to you as it was telling the ghost story. It was the same for me with Ghosts of the South Coast. I said, the history is so good, it's overshadowing the ghosts. <laughs> Which is fine, because that's just the way that it ended up working out. And and that's what's missing, is being able to tell the true story of the history without the whitewashing, and without the the biases that we find in history books, and to be able to kind of share the story, and to have the ghosts kind of be the, the humanity that connects it all together.
2: Right. As I mentioned earlier in the show, these are human stories. They're experienced by real people who truly believe that they were affected by something. A spectral spirit, an apparition, a sound, a feeling, a noise, a smell. So really human stories and about humans and even one of the stories, when I write in my chapter, Houses of the Downtown, I uh, worked with a psychic, and we determined that, uh, that one very haunted house could indeed be haunted by an animal spirit. Yeah,
0: Do you, do you name the psychic in the book? I do. Is it anybody I know?
2: It's Patrice Delory Hatcher. She also served as uh, my photographer. So the book has vintage postcards representing Plymouth's history and some of the sites and and stories in the book, as well as um, historically important and significant photographs.
0: And how can people follow along with you online, and, and how can they get the book online?
2: Sure. Well, I have a Facebook page. I urge you to like and follow. It's called Ghosts of Plymouth, Massachusetts, Author and Book Events. So... Go to Facebook and and follow me there. The book is also available online at Arcadia Publishing, Amazon, Nook, Google Play, iBooks, Kobo, and it's in bookstores locally in Plymouth at the Yankee Book and Art Gallery on North Street in Plymouth and at the Barnes & Noble in Hyannis at Westwind Bookstore in Duxbury and at many of the gift shops around Plymouth as well.
0: And I'm going to bet that the Sea Witch has it in Fairhaven here and uh, probably Barnes & Noble in Dartmouth. But the easiest way to get it is just to come and see you tomorrow. Exactly. Come see me tomorrow. Get it right from the author. Get it signed. Share your stories. Hear some stories. and, uh, And I'm going to put on my acquisitions editor. Hat now for a minute, you know, because I know I'm sure they're already contacting you with the success of this one. Success of this book. Are you looking toward another area that you want to tell some more ghost stories from?
2: There may indeed be another book. Uh-huh. I'm not at liberty to say, but keep watch because I will. I will announce in a month or so.
0: I pi- I'll, I'll tell you off the air about the one that I pitched to the History Press a couple of years ago, and uh, and it's they still they still are interested in it, but. I don't know. It's it's I'm having a hard time getting a lot of the stories, but I'll tell you that that off the air. Well, we thank Darcy Lee for coming in and joining us braving the storm, although it's it looks like it's subsided pretty well. Thank you thank you for coming in and we promise that if we call you again we will make sure that Mother Nature makes it just as spooky when you come back and, and join us the next time. Terrific. Uh, tomorrow you should have a nice day though. So uh, everybody can come on down to the Seaport Inn and meet Darcy, get the book, it makes a great Christmas gift and it doesn't matter if you're into the paranormal, it doesn't matter if you're into history, there's a part of it for everybody, uh, so absolutely, 100%, I can't think of anybody that wouldn't appreciate getting a and who doesn't love getting a real, actual book on Christmas? Opening it up and thumbing through the pages and all that, That's and then just curling up on the couch with a fireplace going and, and starting the book. Well, we're going to be back next week, I don't know who our guest is yet, because you know we're, we're booking the show now, so that means it'll be on the fly. As we always do. But uh, we'll be back next Saturday night with another edition of the show. You can always follow us, follow our adventures on YouTube. You can find the video of this show and every other show that we've done. And uh, you can find the podcast everywhere the podcasts are found. Reach out to us, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. We want to know who you are, where you're listening from, how you listen, what you think of the show, how you think we can make it better, Uh, which one of us you think is the best-looking person. That's cool, too. If you want to put that down, we're going to lose that. That's going to go to Stephanie. It's just... It's not even worth. It's not even worth running a poll. Uh, but you know, anything that you want to reach out with us to, spookycrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. dot com. That's the way. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at spookyse. Follow us on Instagram. We're everywhere. Wherever you are, you'll find spooky south coast. So join up with us in those different ways. And as I mentioned, we'll be back next week. We'll have more paranormal topics to discuss with you. I think Ashley will probably be back next week with The Week in Weird. She was a little under the weather this week, so we gave her the week off. But we'll have some more weird stories for you coming up next week. And, of course, whatever you want to bring to the table, let us know all week long. This is is your show. We're just the monkeys that come in and press the buttons. That's the way that we look at it. So until next week, we want you all to stay spooktacular.